Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Now a ticket tap. Supercars, unforgettable. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. My guest on this pod is former V8 supercar and champ car driver, the Gold Coast Zone, Marcus Marshall. Now, like all of our guests, we have plenty to talk about and it's so hard to jam them all into one part. So again with Marcus, we've split this chat into two parts. This is part one of two this week. On this one, we talk about how he got into racing with a Mazda RX-4. There's probably a few rotary heads out there listening who drive RX-4s. How he bought his first race car on barter card. True story. His difficult early years in Formula Ford, the chance meeting with a now supercar's major team owner, or major equity team owner, I should say, that led to a drive in Porsche Carrera Cup. Uh, We talk about racing overseas in Porsche Super Cup, winning in British Formula 3, and how it all led to him securing a drive in the Champ Car World Series in 2005, which we'll cover off in part two next week. Now, I was supposed to chat one-on-one on on the Gold Coast with Marcus. Unfortunately, Victoria, Melbourne went into lockdown just before I was due to get on the plane, so we ended up hooking up the mobile phone, hooking up the recording panel in the office and in the studio to sit down and have a chat with Marcus. And it was a great catch-up because it's a guy... Uh, Marcus is a guy who's been off the radar for for quite some time. Not a lot of people have heard from him or seen from him in quite a few years. And he actually was around motor racing for a lot longer than a lot of people probably remembered. So here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part one of Marcus Marshall on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Well, it's been a while since we've seen this guy on a racetrack. It's been a while since I've seen him, and it's been a little while since I've spoken to him. They are all the perfect ingredients, Marcus Marshall, for a great podcast chat. Thanks for taking some time to uh, jump on the phone line. Uh, Normally, I would have been sitting with you on the Gold Coast having this chat, but uh, lovely COVID in Melbourne has uh, changed that, so we're on a phone line. But, mate, great to chat. I guess the first thing before we get bowling into the motor racing is, what are you doing now? Where are you? What's, What's going on in your world? Yeah, look, I'm I'm living on the Gold Coast, beautiful sunny Gold Coast. Don't rub it in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I'm still I'm working in the family business, project management there. So and, is this um, still is this still property, mate? That you, your dad's been involved in for a long time. That's it. Yes, yeah, yeah, property development. So we're still um, pretty thick thick into that at the moment. So it's um, you know times are a bit better at the moment than than they have been in the and um, keeping ourselves busy, plenty to do. Yeah, good, 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 good. Um, motor racing, are you retired? Are you semi-retired? Are you out of it? Are you? Nah. What's the go? What's your, what's your current driver status? Because you've, you've had a crack in just yeah. about every race car imaginable. What, what's your status at the moment? Uh, yeah, I'm just having a break at the moment. So, um, no, not retired, not officially, no. Um, just... Just haven't been um, just been focusing on the business basically, and and um, 
motor racing, you know, for me is um, a passion, obviously, but um, uh, it's a lot, a lot different these days. Like commercially, there's there's a lot of there's there's a lot going on um, when you apply yourself as a professional, and um, that takes up a lot of your time. And I'm either a hundred percent or I'm not at all. So um, at the moment, I'm not racing anything currently, and not looking to race anything at the moment. So um, just in, enjoying um, getting the business back back to where we were back in the heyday, and um, that takes a lot of time and effort. But um, no motor racing for me at the moment. But one day we might see you have a go in something for a bit of fun when the work calms down, maybe a bit. Yeah, I think so. It's you know, I think uh, it all depends. You know, I've got to see myself in Carrera Cup again or something like that. That would be nice, mate. It's nearly the twentieth um, anniversary of when you started in it. Is that right? Two thousand three. Yeah, two thousand three. First year. Time flies. Yeah, time flies. That's crazy. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you were the guy that, uh, you were the first guy to beat Jim Richards in Carrera Cup, which at the start of that year when the series started, looked like he was never going to be beaten. Yeah, he, I mean, Jim, oh, and he was, at his age then, he was probably, oh, I, I don't know, he was, I hadn't raced him in, in the past before that, but I've watched him plenty and, um, You'd have to say he's at his best. I mean, he qualified fifth, I think, that year in HRT. Oh, he was third at Bathurst that year. Third, was it? Yeah, third. everyone third. forgets because Murphy went and banged that lap of the gods lap out. Oh, that's right. He yeah. Did too. yeah, but he was 50-something, um, and he was, you know, he was hosing all those guys in Carrera Cup. He won 20 out of 30 races or, or something like that. It yeah, was crazy. Yeah. yeah, he was. He just... You just had it on me in experience, and and I, and I learned that took me years to learn it. Just tire pressure, just, you know, with those cars, it's all there is is tire pressures. Really, um, there's not too much to the engineering side of it, which is makes it fantastic for a young driver and an older driver or someone in the middle to um, make a name for yourself or have a bit of fun. But um, he just had it on me in tire pressures where he'd come on at the end of the race. I'd always run a run a lower pressure. And um, he would get away from me at the start, and then right at the end, I'd catch up to him, and and it'd all be over because they're only fairly short races. But it took me a while to learn learn that, and um, just to get it right, and and um, and be, and an experience on cold tires as well. That was the first time for me in slicks, um, other than Formula Renault in the UK, which I had a previous sort of blurt, but. Um, the uh, 2003, you know, first year that really made I made a name for myself, and thanks to Jim, really, and um, being able to beat him at Winton, he didn't like it very much. <laughs> I do recall uh, that. Was, was there a bump on track or, or something like that? that there was, there was a bump. There was a bump. He tried to hang on the outside. I hung on the outside of Winton there through the S's, and Jim sort of um, hung on the in, which is the inside for turn two. And we got a bit close, had a bit of a bump, and he spun, and um, he had to come back through the field. So it was sort of the rest of the weekend. Now I won all three races, so um, that was yeah. We sort of left there, I think. Um, I think with the championship lead, because 
So I was second to him at Phillip Island at the start of the year. And um, so, yeah, really made my name stuff around Jim, and he taught me a lot as well. And um, he didn't like it. He basically, as, as the year went on and we had some big battles, and um, I had a big one with him at Bathurst, and he, he gave it back to me, what he gave me at Winton. And, um, and then gave me a lesson in the stewards box as well. And <laughs> 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 now the hand of the stewards, I mean, he walks in there, he's like a god. And he's this young little hairy-ass kid sort of walking in there trying to explain that I was in the right and Jim was in the wrong. <laughs> and it didn't, that didn't go down too well. So I didn't, I didn't get that. Uh, <laughs> that just sort of went to the keeper, that one. Yeah, it was a, it was a great year. That, and that was a huge year for you, mate. It wasn't just um, – well, Carrera Cup, you got your, uh, a go in V8, you went to America and did Super Cup. We'll, we'll come back to all that because there's a lot to unpack, but I want to rewind. You're a long-time Gold Coaster. You've got the Gold Coast uh, lifestyle down pat. You, you love your surfing, all that stuff. You raced on the Gold Coast of the street track. But a lot of people didn't know that you actually come from Tassie originally. You were born in Tassie. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I was born in Tasmania, and um, my parents moved up here when I was twelve. And um, basically, yeah, just moved up here, and I was fortunate enough to grow up and on a, on a farm and um, be around machinery a lot and dirt bikes, and um, so dirt bikes was my love and um, and my passion and um, cars and machinery. And we were never around motor racing in any way, shape, or form. My parents weren't a motor racing family. And um, we come to the Gold Coast with nothing and started from scratch and sort of grew up on the streets of the surface paradise. I sort of, my mum had a little fruit shop in, or started working in a little fruit shop in the surface eventually. But, and then, um, and I started working in the surf industry when I was 14. And I worked in retail. In the surf industry for ten years, first before I even started motor racing. So you're a really, really late starter in in car racing because it was it a club car, an RX four Mazda that was the the first rocket ship. Correct, yeah, oh. correct. So, yeah, love that car. So how old were you? Actually, this day? I was twenty something. Yeah, I was twenty two then, twenty three, twenty two. Now, is this is this real age or Marcus adjusted age? Because I reckon That's you real age. you went That's to the you went to the school of Russell Ingle and John Faulkner in driver age adjustment, did you not? I did, but I didn't do it myself. I did it actually at Indy one year in ninety nine, and the local newspaper wrote an article on me. They got my age wrong, and but it, it sucked. But they went down, not up, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it stuck for me, which was great. And no matter how many times I tried to tell the story, I just, I just left it as it was, you know, so I went along with it. As the story got wrote, each news article got wrote on top of that age that they picked up their info from because they hadn't asked me that day or, you know, or so on. But, um, yeah, so I was quite a late starter and, and, and basically I started all well, my first, road car was a Mazda RX-4 rotary and um, because I was working in the surf industry, I was working in retail every weekend, every school holidays, as soon as I could get my license, I had the money to go buy a car and so the first car I bought was a Mazda RX-4 which was from a guy who I knew here on the coast and um, he had, had enough of it and handed it on to me and that basically started me because that 
got me, I introduced to a business named Rotary Beat. And Rotary Beat had a guy there named Phil Laird. And Phil Laird's a prolific engine builder for Mazda Rotaries. And he sort of made, or he was Wayne Wakefield's. I was um, going to say, that was the 808 wagon that Wakefield ran. He was involved in it, right. wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's famous for that. And I was involved in, with those guys. I would go up there every time after work. Oh, that I could every night of the week, seven nights a week, I'd be on the engine dyno with him because he had a had a pretty big show down here on the coast in the end and he looked after people like um, uh, Botcher from uh, Toowoomba and Speedway and a lot of big names. And and um, <clears throat> so I really cut my teeth with on the engineering side of it and the mechanical side of it and they had a Mazar X4 there that time they'd been leasing out in club car which was called then which is now improved production mm. and um they basically said to me oh look because they knew i was really interested in it and um the car came available for lease so they said oh do you want to go have a go at it we reckon you'll go all right so i said oh okay so anyway i went along i'd i'd, I'd only ever been to two racetracks in my life i've been to service paradise raceway um, my dad took me there when I was younger and watched one of the touring car rounds. And um, then I'd been to Lakeside as well and watched one of the touring car rounds as well. So I'd only ever been to a racetrack twice in my life, never driven a go-kart, never <laughs> driven anything, and just started basically from from racing, street racing, I guess, on the Gold Coast, which is highly illegal and I do not condone it. No, no, of course not. But, um, no, but it was a bit different in those days. But... Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I te- did a test day in the car, which was lakeside then in the afternoon from uh, 2 o'clock or something it was till 4 o'clock or something, and I was, I was hooked. <laughs> yeah, got you. Real G. Yeah. Got you sorted. Yeah, got, yeah. got me. In. And just that professionalism, I feel led and, and, you know, having, like I never got to uh, hang around Wayne, Wayne Wakefield much, but... I was in the centre of all that um, going on, and they were, man, they were true racers. Like they would, they were all out. Like, and Wayne had a pretty big following, and um, and the Mazda 808 and and the rotary engine, and and um, that was my first race car. And basically, I did 1997. I raced in the the Queensland Club Car Championship and finished third in that. And then I did. Um, 1998, I did um, just a little dabble too. I did Queensland 500. Oh, no, sorry, that was 99. But I did the Queensland round of the Touring Car Championship in 97, 98, Lakeside. But, um, yeah, so that was the start, mate. That was the start. It really kicked me on into um, I wanted to sort of find a, an avenue into racing where you'd be successful and um and i had didn't have any money and parents didn't have any money to do it so what we did is we had a, a thing called barter card uh-huh, yes. in those days yeah and it's still around i think and it's it's trade dollars it's called and you sort of bartering system and i i rang everyone in auto action i could possibly find with a race car and a, at a certain value and um i and offered them barter card. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about 
and said no to me. We never heard it before. I don't know what you're talking about. All we want is cash, so that's fair enough. But then I got this one one guy who was involved in barter card and he had a GT production car and it was a Nissan 300ZX. And um, I bought, went to Sydney and bought that car from him, bought it home and thought, all right, what do I do next? So um, I basically took that car the way it was um, to Calder Park to the GTP round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, those days it was um, John Bow and the Ferrari. Um, I think there was a Dodge Viper. There was um, a few things like that. And um, Bow was the man, I think. And GT production was really taking off then. And it had a good TV package as well. And um, I basically towed that car down with my parents with our four-wheel drive down there on a car trailer <laughs> with spares. I had, I think I had two spare tyres. I still had the tyres on it that I bought from him. I still had the brake pads on it I bought from him. So when I got there, I had to put brake pads on it. I'd never put brake pads on a car in my life <laughs> until that day. And um, got out there and practised and qualifying and found out that the car only had a speed limiter on it of 180 kilometres an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I had JB up my bum coming in the Ferrari and I'm waving to him like to, to go to the right, go to the right, but next minute speed limiter hits. Bum, 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 bum. So I raced that car with a speed limiter all weekend. And I think I qualified seventh or could, something could, like could that. Could you not turn it off? It wouldn't turn off? You couldn't turn it off? No, I couldn't turn it <laughs> off because it was part of the ECU. Mate. I don't even have, have a clue. There was no MoTeC or there was no anything like that. It was. Um, oh. I had the manufacturer's ECU in the car and it was a big 300ZX twin turbo. It was a big car, had a lot of power. And big tyres on it, slicks, never raced some slicks in my life and never raced called a park in my life. So, and then I was just threw myself into the cauldron. So, yeah, that was a hell of an adventure. But I only did one race of that and then I went to Phillip Island with that car. We, I got onto a mechanic here on the Gold Coast and um, through Nissan here at Gold Coast. He, he helped me out with it and then we got rid of the speed limit a bit. I unfortunately went to Phillip Island for the next round, not the next round, but it was one of the rounds through that year. And my dad and I did the ride day, and I had my dad into the rides to lap so that I could run the circuit. But before we got there, I got fuel from um, from the survey there from from to get 98 or whatever it is, you know. And um, it just so happened that that fuel wasn't good enough, and I blew the motor up. Oh on the main straight at Phillip Island, so I had to go home. And then um, then, I, then that car basically ended up in Melbourne. And every time I, oh, I spent probably three or four months down there working for a guy called at AVO, AVO Turbos, a big, big um, street performance centre down there. And then we pulled the whole car apart. And, oh, man, it was a nightmare. I ended up rebuilding the car. I never raced. I, I did race it again in GT production in um club car, but I never raced it again in, um, at a national round. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Now a ticket at Supercars Unforgettable. Was that, uh, one, of, yeah. was that one of those things, mate, where you just didn't know what you didn't know because you had no background, you didn't have a dad who used to race or a you know, a lot of guys get into it because their family has a, 
a deep entrenchment. It's a generation or two in the sport and they kind of know what to look for or know who to talk to or know how to approach it. You just didn't know what you didn't know. You knew that you liked it and you wanted to get into it, but you were kind of an outsider going through all the lessons and the pain along the way. Oh, exactly. And that, and that just basically, we learned off people that we met at each round. And there's, you know, people, you know, motor racing flight and motorsport family. And, um, it's, it's fantastic where, you know, a lot of people sort of, oh, we'll give you a hand or like this, or they could see I was struggling or, or so on. But, um, yeah, I had, had no, no family that were into motor racing. I dragged my family into motor racing. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, it just sort of went from there, mate. And I had that car and I thought, well, this is this is big buck stuff for me. I can't handle the cost of running this thing properly. So um, I basically went looking for a race car that that would get me in the limelight, like so as such to, to to learn the basics really well, and for a chance to um, you know possibly you know just you know. I, I guess I, I, yeah, just looked at it to learn the basics. What's the most popular chassis out there to race and in the junior category? And um, even though I was probably what twenty four by then, um, I sort of looking through auto action and motorsport news. I found Formula Ford, and um, that's where basically it all started. Is buying a Formula Ford, so I sold the uh, GT production car. And um, bought a Formula Ford, and I bought a trailer, spare engine, spares, and I brought a Spectrum, and I bought Jason Bargwana's old car. And oh, right. um, the one that had been the the yellow and red car from a few years earlier. It had, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Right yep. And one. it was one yeah. of the very very early Spectrums. Yep. And it was a bit of a hybrid. And um, yeah, basically. Oh, Went and bought that car for this young kid in Brisbane for an absolute bargain. His parents, he was straight out of go-karts and it scared him a bit. And anyway, so I grabbed this trailer and formed the to deal with him and um, took it home to my shed, which was um, basically had all our building products in it. And then a little corner, I had, had my little setup and um, took it home, pulled it apart and said, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> help, I didn't help. have a clue. I didn't have a clue. Uh, and who was yeah. it that you connected to that gave you the clue that helped gel this together? From because clearly you knew what you wanted to do, you were passionate about it, but you just didn't know what you didn't know. Like I said before, so somewhere mm. there's a savior in this that goes right, mate. Here, this is what you do. Who took you under your wing, uh, under their wing, to to get you on the Formula Ford path? Well, the first guy wasn't the right guy. I can tell you that he did everything <laughs> for me that was wrong. He, re- I can't. I, I remember. I'm not going to say his name. And um, he was he was in former Holden go kart, and I got onto him through my engine builder at the time, and um, he sent me down the garden path, and I mean absolutely backwards. He redesigned all my suspension on the car. Totally. Re-engineered it, and it was already spot on by Mike Borland. You know, it should have just been set up with a standard setup, and off you go. But I could not get this car to work, mate. And I tell you, I spent nearly seven days straight 
other mini fleets, trying to make it to five to a um, national round of all things, and then like a state round yet in this car. I wanted to go to this national round at Phillip Island, and I had a mate of mine who was from school who was doing his degree in marketing, but he'd come and help me. So he was okay, and um, we both. Could not get this car to work, and I mean like the clutch was redesigned, everything. And we made it to Phillip Island, and um, I worked all night through the nights. The Friday night when I got to Phillip Island as well, plus I'd done seven days straight, hardly any sleep. And then made it the qualifying, going to drive the car through qualifying, driving through the pits. I remember this clearly, and there was all the Formula Holden pits there at Phillip Island, and had their extension leads along the ground. Oh, no. Yeah, like electrical cords, and my car was so low. I could never get the ride height right. It was so low, it wrapped up all the electric cords around my suspension. <laughs> and this is on my way out to qualifying, and it's hanging down with rain at Phillip Island. It's freezing cold. And um, I basically um, got all that unraveled. Got down, going down pit lane, and there's a guy standing down the end of pit lane, on the officials, and he's just pointing at me going, Go in, go to you know, and I look up and here's the checkered flag. The session finished, <laughs> and that was qualifying too. So, yeah, I went back and I can safely tell you I cried, and um, it was such a, an emotional thing, such a uh, push me that hard. And I thought, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? So, Mike Bourne sort of helped out after that round. He sort of got involved a little bit more and just said. Come and look at the car and said, "What have you done?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh well, this is weird. I met this guy and he told me to do this. The thing is, I cut up all my spares as well, so they matched all that. Anyway, so we bought a whole heap of new suspension, wishbones, and um, and everything off to the car, bell cranks, and that had all been modified and push rods, and we got all that stuff back into its standard format." And we went to Sandown to a national round and um, started to do the corner weights on the car there at the national round. And I had my mate there, I was sitting in the car, my mate's doing it with a wrench on the on the shocks, you know, like adjusting the springs, <laughs> adjusting the springs to do the corner weights, which everyone was standing around. And then Mike Bourne came over and said, what are you doing? And adjusting the corner weights, he just said, no, 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 no. Give me a look. We've been we've been doing it totally wrong. <laughs> so I, I yeah, oh mate, I learned it the hard way. I can tell you, mate. I don't and know. Just, I, I don't know how you got on the track half the time in those days. Jeez. Nah, I didn't. And and then what actually happened is from that weekend, we got the car to standard, and then I went back and started doing some state rounds. Mike said, "Oh, you probably should do some state rounds. It might be a good, <laughs> might be a good idea." So I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, and that's when I met Will Power. So I started racing against Will and, and him and I had some great battles and um, and I did all the car myself on that stage and my mate Alex used to help out a bit. But um, I did absolutely everything myself, me and Will. Will used to as well. And we used to go to Warwick on a weekend or an afternoon and put 25 bucks in the letterbox and the guy would leave the key there. Will would organise it. <laughs> and we'd just we'd go around there all day. And that's the old track, which was very small, short track. But um, 
because we needed to because we've been at Lakeside on a fast circuit and we were really good when we went to Phillip Island or somewhere like that. But when we went to Winton or somewhere like that, we weren't as good as the Victorians because they were in a, it's more of a short track and shorter ratios. And um, so, yeah, I did it all myself, mate, basically, from, from the start. And so, so, somewhere along the line, though, mate, the, the, it sort of became – you got through the the bits that you didn't know and you got your car going in the right direction, all the bits uh, proper, and then I think you you ended up at Sonic, the, the team that Will Davison drove for, that Alex Davison had driven for, that Wink Up ended up at. Because I think – weren't you still running your own car at that stage and then a, there was a conversation of, well, just bring it here, we'll, we'll look after it for you, and that kind of – help you take the next step? Is that, that what unfolded from uh, – that was 2001, I think, from memory. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we basically – I went um, 99, I won the club, uh, the state championship. And then 2000, I actually met um, a guy named Keith Evers. And I met Keith through um, through Mike Borland. And um, Keith basically um, – was a godsend for me and set up on the car and I could sort of more um, think about driving the car than more than having to do all the mechanical side of it. And that year, 2000, I had a pretty good year, like at Indy, qualified second and Bathurst in the wet against Rick Kelly. Rick won and I finished second. There was Will Davis and Nick Aggle and they had a bit of a tussle and spun out of the race. But um, um, who else was there? And then yeah, so they basically that that really set us off with um, with uh, Keith in two thousand, where um, I actually got a deal with a guy, a friend of his who used to sponsor. Um, I'm trying to think of his name, but anyway, he helped me and gave me the, a chassis, and it was the latest ball and chassis. So I went down to Melbourne. And I was, Keith was running me. And um, so we were going to do the uh, Phillip Island State Round. And that was sort of, you had to go down there and compete because you had, you had Jamie Winkup, Will Davison, um, you know, or Luke Yildon, whoever you tell that time that was sort of around my age group. Luke was probably a little, little bit ahead of me. But um, yeah, we went down, so we did a test day at Winton before Phillip Island. And um, I went out in this brand new car and um, unfortunately the throttle got stuck open and I went through three, got airborne across the ditch, went straight on the right chassis and broke the body off as well. Oof. Yeah, um, that weekend it was so good. So I had this brand new chassis that I thought, oh, how good is this? Had everything on, all the bells and whistles and then I wrote that chassis off. I had to go back to my old one. And I kept racing that year with a broken wrist and other injuries. And then, um, yeah, so we finished there. I was running second at Indy. I think I finished, yeah, finished second at Indy in 2000. Second at Bathurst, which was 2000 at Bathurst in the wet. That was just the wettest race still to this day I've ever driven in. And um, then 2001, was, we went and bought a um, Van Diemen chassis, just sort of like Will Davison had done and, and a few others, and um, started off with that chassis and I started running it through 
Um, oh, he was Marcus Ambrose's engineer. Uh, Harry Galloway. Oh, Harry Galloway, yep. yep. Harry. And I ran with Harry Galloway and Bart Moore. And that didn't go so good for me. That was, was basically like a Van Diemen factory deal. It was sort of very run because Harry was originally the Van Diemen factory guy, him and Pete and Greg Sitt. And, um, yeah, so I went on an adventure running that car out of Sydney and it didn't go so well that year. I was really slow at the start of the year. It was last every race. And in my old car, I was running second. And that Spectrum was pretty old, too. Um, it wasn't looking too good. And then uh, and then my dad met uh, Richard Davison, uh, Will Davison's father, at Phillip Island. And um, they'd sort of noticed a few things there that went right and thought, well, they thought I wasn't getting a fair deal. And so Richard had just mentioned that to us. Sort of thought, oh, you went to Perth and I was laughing. Richard um, had one of his drivers there at his team, which was um, set up for Will Davison through Mick Ritter, and was, which was Sonic Motor Racing. And um, Richard said to him, Oh, why don't you bring your car across to us? And we, you know, we'll run the car for you, we've got a spot here. And um, just so happened to be, so that's what I did. So when I got back to um, Queensland, I just basically went and picked my car up off Harry, took it down to um, Melbourne, and I spent the next um, two and a half weeks rebuilding the whole car. And in that two and a half weeks, I learned more about racing than I probably did the whole time, you know, <laughs> that I'd been been racing. You went to the, and, um, the Mick Ritter school straight away. Oh, I did, yeah. It was one of the greatest things I ever did in my life, that's for sure. That's for sure. And did you get a fine appreciation for cigarettes and Coca-Cola? I did. <laughs> I did, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I did. Mick, no, Mick, back then, he used to, man, he could smoke cigarettes. But, um, yeah, no, I got, I, got the, I got schooled on how to set up a car, basically. And it worked. How to go to race. How to go race properly? Yeah, it did. Um, straight away, I think I went straight to call to park, and um, we qualified fifth. We ran fifth, I think, the whole weekend, and um, all of a sudden I was up the front again. I was like, "Oh, this is better. This is what it's meant to be like." Mm. Um, and then, um, as the season went on, I got a couple of podiums and um, finished the year off with a couple of podiums and a couple of seconds. And run a second to Will, and Will won the championship, and convincingly. And um, then went on to the next year, two thousand and two, again, Formula Ford, and um, raced against Jamie Winkup. And um, so Jamie was my teammate that year. So by this time, I was uh, let's say twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, something like that, twenty six. 27, so I'd, um, I was the older gentleman, <laughs> <laughs> and I had all the young bucks, and um, and I was learning the hard way, you know, it just comes back to the motor racing families again, they knew what to do, like who to go to, how to do it, um, and um, yeah, it was definitely, 
one of the greatest moves I ever did was going to Sonic because then I um I learnt so much off Will Davison and the Davisons, and I learnt so much off um, Mick Ritter. And that year we even they were so professional. I had a sports psych, uh, a guy named Anthony Clarica. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's AK, as you know, and um, AK is like well, he's been at Hawthorne Football Club for about ten years. Yeah, he's at Hawthorne for a long time, and more recently at, at Carlton. So. Oh, yeah. Carson, I, yeah. oh, I, I don't talk to him anymore because he's not at Hawthorne. So <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't either. <laughs> but that, that you was a, you, you got up and rolling there. So I, I vaguely remember at the Grand Prix in O two. Didn't you and Wink up take one another out one day and you let Fabian ah. Coulthard win? I reckon that would not have been a good debrief to be in. No, tell me about it. I was leading that. I had that race. That was last lap. And Jamie was behind me, Fabian was third. We had a great weekend of racing. Like, us three were just on another level, I think, to everyone else. And that um, was a pretty big weekend then because it was the Alan Jones Trophy race. And it was, you know, Will had won it the year before by a massive amount. And whoever won that race over the years, I remember watching it when I was younger as well, you know, part of the Grand Prix TV. Um, you know, you're pretty privileged to get good air time like that for such a category. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was going through what, 11 and 12, I think, fast left and right. And Jamie took me out and Fabian went through and won the whole weekend, won the Alan Jones trophy. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> so, yeah, Nick Ritter wasn't happy at all. Ugh. And basically... That was that. That's that sort of started our year, Jamie and I. But I mean, we we good mates. But um, it, it's um, <laughs> it started off an interesting year, that's for sure. <laughs> Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. So he goes on and wins the championship. Mark Winterbottom was in the mix there. I think he finished second and you finished third. It was really a a three-way fight between you guys in terms of the, the speedy cars over the course of, of that year. So this sort of fast-tracks us, mate, back to where we kind of started at 2003. Carrera Cup comes on board. It's a new series. How did you get tied up with, with Tony Quinn and the VIP Pet Foods thing? How did that all come together? Yeah, that basically came together through Mum and Dad. We were just walking through Rabina Town Centre, shopping centre here on the Gold Coast, and <clears throat> I ran into Tony Quinn and... and um, and basically, Tony and Christine said, "Oh, look, we're um, we're racing Carrera Cup this year." And um, basically, they said, "Oh, what's Marcus up to?" Because with Formula Ford in Queensland, Tony Quinn used to race against us, and so we used to speak all the time and um, become good friends with them. And and um, so that's how it started. Basically, the Tony said, "Oh, what's Marcus up to? He's going really well in Formula Ford." You should come and give this career a cup a go. He goes, I've bought two cars. He goes, um, get him to come and see me. So we went down and had a chat to him. And um, that year, I sort of pulled some sponsors, or the year before, through Formula Ford. And one of the sponsors that I had gone 
for was AG Power Tools. And so AG Power Tools jumped on board and sponsored and paid for the for the ride for Carrera Cup for me in 2003, which was, yeah, possibly, launch, you know, we really did just launch my career. Um, and it was the greatest thing that, that had happened to me in, in my racing at that stage, for sure. Yeah, it was a, a new series. No one really knew what to expect, but I think, and, and, and I was involved in it, I worked for Cup Car at the time in, in a media role, but I think we had somewhere around high 20s in terms of the field. A lot of guys from Porsche Cup came along who quickly realised, oh crap, this is a bit more competitive than the old Porsche <laughs> Cup was. And then there was young guys, yourself, uh, Tim Lay, Matty Coleman, who saw this as a viable um, pathway to take, that maybe the development series wasn't quite the thing for them. Uh, but the best part about it all were, were probably two blokes, Jim and Fitzy, Peter Fitzgerald, who you did drive for in the, the years after, because they gave mm. a benchmark. They'd been in Nations Cup and GTP and all that stuff. So if you beat either of them, particularly Jim, who was just at his peak in those cars, as we talked about earlier, uh, when mm. you won at Winton, I think Tim Lay got a round win up in Darwin. If you beat Jim Richards in a Porsche in a one-make series, it made the V8 supercar pit lane take a look at you. And that's what happened that year. Yeah, it did, mate. It really did. And, um, yeah, it it took off. And plus the TV package we had, we were pretty spoiled with that. That was pretty good. But um, you imagine these, every one of those cars are brand new when they turned up. I could believe it when I went and looked at this black, brand new uh, 996 Porsche and I was actually going to drive it and ride it. So it was just unbelievable. Um, and um, basically that series, that year, just the professionalism of it and just, um, you know, all, all the same cars and everything, all, all one-make series, it really made the whole V8 supercar field stand up and pay attention. And um, and Jim, thanks to him as well, I've got a lot, a lot of um, respect to Jim. He uh, helped me a lot as well and putting in a good word to HRT or Tim Brock, and um, and got me a drive there with uh, Keys Wheel at Team Brock in 2003 as well, so at double duty. Yeah, you, you were busy in that back end of the year, Sandown, Bathurst, Double Up, Porsche, V8, I think, um, and wasn't it before, it was before the Enduros that you went to, to, you went to Indy, you went and did a round of Porsche Super Cup as well? Yeah, I did, yeah, true, um, yeah, you're right, mate. A lot happened that year. It was but, big. Um, it, it was big, yeah. I won, there was an award for driver to the Europe. So if you – so I finished second in the championship. And if you um, uh, won – I think it was the age limit was 35 or something like that. Now, were you – I think it was 30. Now, were you, 30, were, you under, were you under 30 at the time? Yes, yeah, Oh, that's yeah, right. It was 30. above board then. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, even, even without – even my copper racing age, I was still above board, <laughs> which was, yeah, that's funny, that is. But, um, yeah, so I won that, and which was absolutely turned out unreal because Super Cup usually has one race per round, which is a heavy thing. Like, you go there, you do two qualifying sessions, and then you got one long race, where in Australia we used three sprint rounds, the three sprint races. But what happened in Indianapolis is that they held two rounds at the one race. So I got a double double whammy. 
And, um, man, that was a great adventure. That was, that was so cool. I went to, um, went to Hungary and, um, met with all the Super Cup guys and went over there with Jamie Blakey and, um, and popped in to see you guys on the way, I think. I think I was kicking around hanging out at Will Davis and James Cook. You place. were. Yeah. You were. Yeah. I kicked in. I went in and over there and had a look around and, and, um, on the way to Hungary. And then went over there, spoke to them, got that sorted out, and went to Indianapolis and qualified seventh, I think, and then finished fifth in both races. And um, yeah, that was mind blowing. That was just awesome. Like it was a one off, like that car. That's the only time that car had ever been raced. It was just like a um, rides car, show car sort of thing over there, and they put it all together just for that one race. So. Um, yeah, everything that happened that weekend was pretty. I had the whole Super Cup paddock ringing me <laughs> after that, which was pretty cool. All wanted me to race with them, so um, yeah, and I got fastest lap in both races. And qualifying, I learned at that place that you need to have a toast. And my two teammates were running for the championship, and Frank Stippler and um, get the other guy's name, and he needed a toast. And that's they had he had to work in tandem with someone and qualifying to get right up front, so that's why I ended up seventh. But yeah, no, it was a good experience. Amazing. I, yeah. I mean, you, you're right. I mean, that was the beauty of, and it still is the beauty of Carrera Cup. If you're good in Carrera Cup in Australia, as we've seen with Matty Campbell and Jackson Evans, it's applicable to wherever you might end up um, over the other side of the globe. So, I mean, you were able mm. to do that. The the team brought uh, Commodore Supercar program, which was the the wheels. You and Greg Rear, I think you were you were like sixth at Bathurst, and the engine went with only a couple of laps to go. So that was on target for a good result. Oh three, the it's the year that launched your career, mate. It was a uh, uh, you know mm-hmm. you, you got the you did good in Formula Ford. You went from so- you went to Sonic. Good step. Tony Quinn says, "Hey, I've got a car." All right, you got to bring a bit of money, but you you had a sponsor or two to help you out. You got in there, you get a go at V eights. All right, you do all right. You go to America, that goes pretty good. So right at that point, you must be on this crest of a wave. But then the thing is, what's next? Like, <laughs> what do you want yeah. to be? Where do you want to go? And then and you you wanted to tackle the UK and you wanted to go the open wheeler path. Yeah, that's it. I think looking at it again, I mean, the team Brock thing was just unbelievable, and um, that. That car, that was a seriously, seriously good car. And it was in a seriously good situation. Yeah, we were running fifth, two laps to go. We would have finished fifth at Bathurst and even probably even better than that because Jim and Stephen took each other out. <laughs> that's I think. right. Well, they, yeah, got, they kept one another other, going, but they, they slowed one another down. And, that's right. Yeah. That's it, slowed each other down. We were just behind them. So, But, um, yeah, so that. That, at that stage, that's when I really needed a manager or I needed experience in the family, which, you know, where you're, you're a motor racing family, that's where it really, when I look back on it now, I made a decision. I could have stayed in Australia. You know, I went to, um, I had Ross Stone give me a call and I went down and visited the factory there and because um, that year they ran Mark Winterbottom and the development series. Yep. And um, so I went down and had a look through all there. And even though he didn't offer me anything, he, I think he sort of was offering me, you know, in a, in a sense, the drive there for 2004 in the development series. Um, but I had my heart set on Super Cup. 
And so I made a lot of good connections through Porsche Cars Australia and um, and all that sort of stuff. And then they set me up in Germany. And then I had the championship winning team um, and the Super Cup. They, they wanted me. And then I thought, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So I had AG Powerfuls who were going to pay for it. And I went to Europe that year, and because the season's on the start to April or something like that, the Formula One, because the Super Cup follows Formula One, I um, missed the whole heap of opportunities initially, went to went to Germany to live, and um, AG Powerfuls pulled out the sponsorship at the last minute. And... Um, that was a big whammy for me. Oh, you know, it, was, it wasn't good. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, here I am, south in Germany, ready to go. And, and what I should have done is should have, I should have, our family probably could have paid some of the racing in Super Cup because it was the deal that was given to me. It was ridiculously cheap. Um, and I probably should have pushed that and stayed in Super Cup and started racing with them, got the season started and got some sponsorship in because um, that's where I was really at, sports cars or that type of car because um, what I did was um, I went back to England and Will Davison was there racing in Formula 3 and um, there was a couple other people there, obviously from Australia and engineering, mechanics and stuff like that and all talking and and um, one of the engineers at Fortec Motorsports, um, Phil, um, I get Kilmeter over his last name. Phil, anyway, he um, he they basically courted me and said to me, "Oh, look, you want to come and have a have a steer here?" And um, they basically gave me a whole round for free to <laughs> race the they car. Got, yeah. They got in, didn't they? They got, they got you in. They got me in. Got me in. Got me in. So. But I did a test day for or two uh, two days test with Carlin Motorsport before that. But then we just couldn't afford it, like the money that they talk over there. But my passion was open wheels, um, coming from Formula Ford and all that sort of stuff. And so I was stuck halfway through the year. It was April. Season had already started in Bridge Formula 3. Super Cup season's about to start. Um, supercars had already started in Australia. Uh, everything had already started. So I was stuck, and I was like, what am I going to do? So I took that free round with Fortec Motorsport, and then I did the rest of the season with them um, that year, and we made it happen. We did a bit of a hand financially from different people here in Australia, and um, that was, yeah, a huge learning year for me. Um, just absolutely amazing getting amongst the, the English side of it, but... Um, I already previously had in 2002, I'd been there and done a Formula Renault and I, and um, won a race there in the wet and then um, done a lot of miles, a lot of miles for Craig Murray and um, Formula Renault, but then ended up in Formula 3, British Formula 3. And something about you in the wet, because you won a wet race at Silverstone in British F3, which was against the grain, you made the right tyre call at the right time and uh, managed to grab a win there. So what was it about you and w- the wet weather? It seemed that when it rained, good stuff happened to you. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know. Like, it's experience. Like, those guys are testing so much. Like, 
like I had it on me already as that season started, you know, yeah, Will and I had um, yeah, PK Junior. Um, they'd all already run. They already raced three races, I think, before I started. Three rounds had already happened. Um, they'd already raced the full season the year before. They'd been in Formula Renault the year before that. Um, yeah, so they we just had a, a, a leg up on me in the dry. But in the wet, it sort of equals everyone out. But I did make a good tie choice at Silverstone and, and um, cause I was living just around the corner and Silverstone from Silverstone racetrack. <clears throat> so I knew the weather pretty well. <laughs> Miserable most <laughs> days. Miserable most days, yeah. But I just remember that the outlap there and we were running the Silverstone Grand Prix circuit that weekend. So we're running the full circuit and when we got around the back, it was bone dry. I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is bone dry. It'll tear the wets up. To the point where I was being careful on my wets not to tear them up. Uh, so I went out to grid on wet, and then you have a choice to change the drives if you want to. Always took out tyres. And so I said, nah, let's go to slicks, let's go to slicks, and they're all going to me. You're crazy, you're crazy, no way, don't do that. Because the complex and turn one and bag, oh, make it, uh, oh, um, I'm trying to think Maggots, of the name of the Beckett, corner. Saw that Maggots, Beckett, yeah, was yeah, yeah. still wet. Yeah, that's right. It was still like absolutely soaked. Like it was torrential there. And then the other half was bone dry. So I had nothing to lose because in the first race, I jumped the start. And uh, because they all sort of do it a bit there. So I tested my metal and uh, jumped ping. the start way too much. <laughs> Oh yeah, I only got pinged by a race penalty though, but but um, race time penalty. But the battery went flat in the car. So uh, it had a bad, it had a shock absorber leading up to it. It had testing, I think it was, or the Friday before that. And Friday the testing, we had a broken shock. Then in the first race, they had a battery that um, the boys put the wrong battery back in the car because we didn't have much money. They had one good battery, one crap battery, and they forgot to put the good battery in the car. That was race one. So the engine just died because it had no alternator on. They run straight off the battery. And then race two was sitting on the grid and going, I'm going to race on sleeps. And they all just, no, no, no. But, um, yeah, it just, you know, I just did it easy, basically. And they thought you were mad to do it, but it, it worked out all right. Yeah. And, and you got a win on the board. So they are going to win, yeah. I was going to ask you too, mate. At this stage, um, you know, you've, you're starting to rack up momentum. You've got um, a nice resume going of different cars that you've been driving and success in them all. And, and you talked about, um, you know, you had AEG backing and, and they didn't stick with you to get that Super Cup thing going. How did you, you pull all this together? Were you, were you at the point here where you, your dad and your family's business, which was No Limit Property Group, which is the, the stickers that we saw on, you know, a few of your cars over the years, were they at a point to be able to go, all right, we'll help you here? Or, you know, you get yourself a certain way and we'll help you out? Or how, how did that work over that period there? Because I think there's probably a lot of um, perspective from a lot of people at the time that, oh, it was easy, you just go and write another check and away you go. But, I mean, you you need help from not just family, you need external help, sponsors, partners, people you meet um, along the way, it wasn't simply a case of just whacking a check down all the time to just sort this stuff out, really. I mean, you, you had to do a bit of everything. But what was your, your dad, John's sort of take on it all? Was he 
in to go, right, I'll, I'll, you go and do it, I'll help you if you need it, or what was the scenario there to, to keep this all right? Oh, we just went along with it as it went, but how we, how we used to do it at home, like I had my little sponsorship network going on, and I had a guy who used to help me out a lot named Stuart Dedeer. Who was an ex-Formula Ford racer himself? Yep, correct, yep, Stuart. And um, he sort of... <laughs> How I met Stuart was um, at Indy one year and he had too many stickers on his car and he couldn't fit this AMX money exchange on his car, so he put it on my car in <laughs> 2000 for around two and a half grand. And that paid for my tyres, it paid for my entry fees, it paid for... And that's how my relationship started with Stuart. I've never and heard he, anyone who's had too many sponsors in racing. Mate, he's unreal. <laughs> he's unreal. And I was very fortunate to come across Stuart. And um, and that's how I paid for my racing the Formula Ford, um, and then I had Dublin Cummins Repco sponsorship in two thousand and two, and we were uh, that year it was actually I had it, and then Jamie was in the team, and then Gary Rogers couldn't um, decide what to do, so he ended up sponsoring both of us. <laughs> but um, I had some really good sponsors that year, and then I had some help from John Benson that year as well, you know. Um, and he helped me with a lot of sponsorship that had come my rolled over from Will's car. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, mate, I, I really learnt the hard way, like, really early on, like, doing it all myself, plus the sponsorship. We used to go around to businesses and um, pitch proposals to them and stuff like that. But, yes, when I did get to the UK, it was a whole lot different. I had to have no limit group on the car, and I couldn't sort of have any sponsorship locally there because, um, yeah, you know, it's it's just this different kettle of fish um, to sell as a commercial package. So um, the family business helped out for that season in 2004, which wasn't a huge amount of money. I did it on a bare-bones budget. Not like the other guys have spent it, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, I didn't even have an engineer all year. I used to have my um, team owner, Richard, um, He's at Fortec. He's an absolute legend. Now this he is, was my engine. He was is, my engineer. This is Richard Dutton, isn't it? Yes. So for listeners of our podcast who've heard previous episodes, it was Richard Dutton's team in Formula Ford 2000 that a very young, in fact, he was 15, nearly 16, Adrian Burgess started his career with in, what, the early 80s. So same guy right? Right? In, in junior level motorsport in, in the UK. Is that right? Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, he is one absolute legend of a guy. He, uh, How he made it work for me that year, he needed to run two cars because he had the second car sitting there. And he, for him to only be running one car is not a good look. And how he did it, I do not know. <laughs> but he ran it on an absolute shoestring budget. Um, we didn't have an engineer and stuff, which takes a fair bit of the cost out of it because um, the engineering level at that at, that you're at there and the amount of miles that you do is um, pretty high. But um, he, he used to find guys out of go-karts and different things and get them into Formula Renaults and they'd be superstars. Like, he's very good at picking talent. But, um, yeah, so that 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 whole thing then is sort of, yeah, paid by, sort of by the family at that stage and then a few other people here on the coast that sort of helped out. So, which is in the building industry, which we sort of lean on. Mm. We call it the racing tax or something like that, you know. <laughs> Part one there of the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Repco with Marcus Marshall. Next week, 
part two. We talk about his year in Champ Car with Team Australia, how he secured that ride and how he suddenly was bundled out of it. Of course, coming back to racing supercars, GT cars and the like, there's plenty to discuss with Marcus in part two. And he also tackles the National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions that many of our fans have sent in in the lead up. Don't forget to, online, it's our website, bhsleuth.com.au you can sign up to our newsletter so you get all the latest headlines and offers and pre-order items follow us on socials facebook twitter instagram get in touch keep us in the loop with what you're up to what you're finding out there in the world of motorsport uh, don't forget to also bookshop.bhsleuth.com.au books magazines prints posters dvds model cars we've got just about everything for everyone who's looking for presents for christmas for father's day or just because we've got some cool stuff there. Jump on the website, check it out. There are some discounted items that need to get into your shopping cart and get onto your bookshelf. Have a look and head to the website. Anyway, don't forget to, every Tuesday, Repco Supercars Weekly's back. We'll have part two of the Marcus Chat next week. In the meantime, thanks again for listening to the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Repco. See you soon. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.